Thanks for coming in, Mr. Mahoney. Do you have your member ID card? Yep, I have it right here in the FEP Blue app. See? Great. It's can I... awesome. The app can also help me find a provider and keep tabs on my deductibles. Okay, can I... Oh, yeah, and my out-of-pocket spending and visit limits, and I can call the nurse line. I'm really glad it does all that, but I only need to see your member ID card. Oh, that's it? Why didn't you say so? Fearless is just one tap away. With the new FEP Blue app from Blue Cross and Blue Shield, you can access your health benefits on the go. Download it now at fepblue.org app. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Vikings, Locked On Podcast Network, welcome to the show. I'm Sam Ekstrom, joined by Sage Rosenfels. On a Wednesday morning, we close the book on New York and we open the book on Houston. Sage is with us as usual on Wednesdays. Sage, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Uh, it was great being at that game, and and I don't think anybody uh, after that Teddy Bridgewater injury was expecting a 4-0 Vikings team at this point in the season. So you know, hats off to that team and to what North Turner has done with Sam Bradford and what Mike Zimmer's done for this entire football team. So many elements of that game stand out on the defensive side, on the offensive side. I mean, the special team side, you can talk about the, you know, the punt coverage. You can talk about the missed kick. You know, there's a lot of talkers from that, from that Giants victory. What stood out to you? What's, what's lasting in your mind now two days removed? I, I think just how the, the, uh, the Vikings defense just continues to give quarterbacks, elite quarterbacks, a hard time. Uh, you know, these last three games, Aaron Rodgers, Cam Newton, Eli Manning, uh, three quarterbacks who have either been MVPs or Super Bowl MVPs, uh, still all three very good players, yet they have had, I think, one touchdown and five interceptions combined in these last three ballgames and a lot of sacks. So just the way this giant, I'm sorry, this giant, this Vikings defense has harassed these last three opponents is just incredible. I got to imagine that New York is is growing tired of kind of the drama around Odell Beckham Jr. You know, he gets held to three catches, 23 yards, career lows, I think, in both categories. Not only is this an issue off the field for New York, but it's becoming an issue on the field, too. Uh, that cannot be a healthy thing for the organization. No, and, and when, a, when a player is sort of either complaining or in particular when he's getting 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalties and things like that, which are hurting his ball club, teams, owners, general managers, head coaches, they get tired of that type of stuff. Uh, and, and they'll only really, uh, you know, withstand it uh, if the player is really, really good. You know, if it's Randy Moss in his prime, they'll take a lot of crap from a guy like that. But a guy that's not really producing right now, uh, and at the end of the day, I mean, he had 23 yards receiving, but he had a 15-yard uh, uh, personal foul penalty. Basically, he had eight yards receiving. So his value to the team right now isn't very high from a production standpoint. And I think the players and the coaches and everyone else is getting tired of all the other antics as well. Well, I tweeted this on Monday night is that when he gets riled up in these games, he's become such a target that I think the defense and the crowd just feed off of that because once he and Rhodes got tangled up there in the second quarter, you could feel a boost in the energy in the building. And I want to say from that point on, Beckham had either one or zero catches 
the rest of the game. He got totally shut down. So especially when you're on the road, you need to keep a cooler head in those situations because people can smell blood in the water at this point with Beckham. Yeah, and Eli Manning mentioned at his press conference, he said, you know, he sort of has created his own problem. Uh, you know, with that Josh Norman situation last year and how everyone saw he lost his cool uh, and you could get under his skin, um, you know, everyone's on the lookout for that. Obviously, defensive players are going to probably jaw him more, talk to him more, try to get under his skin. But the officials are going to have their, you know, ears up and eyes open uh, to him, uh, you know, doing anything excess after or during the play. Uh, and so he has sort of created his own problem and, uh, and it's hurting his football team. So let's talk about guys that were a little more below the surface. Our X factor from the Vikings 24-10 win over New York. I'm going to go way off the beaten path and go with swing lineman Jeremiah Searles who's now come in two weeks in a row. He's played left guard and right tackle, which is not an easy transition to go from an interior lineman on the left to a you know right exterior lineman. And I think he was going against Jason Pierre-Paul as well. Did not allow a sack this week. Did not allow a sack in his time last week in the game. Jeremiah Searles has provided some depth on an otherwise depleted offensive line that uh, gives you faith that maybe if a guy goes down, if Andre Smith is out for a while, Searles can come in and pick up that slack a little bit. Well, he sort of reminds me of like a young Joe Berger. Obviously, you know, Joe never played uh, tackle, but, you know, Joe got into the NFL, you know, started off basically on a practice squad, but the fact that he could play center in both guard positions, one, he was athletic enough to do all three but he was smart enough to, to do all three and you know he didn't really care where he played just put me somewhere uh and you know a guy that can go from left guard to right tackle you have to be obviously athletic enough to make those transitions from more of a power guy to you know the more athletic tackle position but also you have to be smart you're talking about totally different calls uh you're not working with the center anymore you're working with the guard and and or the uh, the tight end on different you know pass and run plays and so uh, you have to be a smart guy and those types of guys general managers and head coaches love because you feel like uh you know they can back up multiple positions and if somebody gets hurt and you always need that flexibility uh along the offensive line because there's always injuries or, or or things like that throughout the season yeah Searles uh down there from your neck of the woods in uh, Nebraska, where he went to Lincoln. Who's your X factor, Sage? Uh, well, my X factor in this game was all three cornerbacks for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, all three played very well. Whether it's Wayne's, obviously Rhodes played really well in that football game, and uh, and Terrence Newman, you know, the old crafty vet. Of course, an old guy like myself loves loves Terrence Newman. Been around for a long time. You know, those three guys had to match up. Uh, and then we, we talk about time and time again, a lot of man-to-man coverage by this Zimmer defense. But they had a matchup against three very good wide receivers. Victor Cruz is healthy. Uh, obviously, Odell Beckham uh, and this young kid, Shepard, with the Giants really liked. And they held those guys in check and pestered them all day and made every yard that they, uh, that they got, uh, receiving-wise, a contested and tough play. It had to be a perfect throw by Eli and a very good route and catch by the receivers for there to be any yardage. And they made tackles. Uh, for the most part, after the catch, which is also sometimes an issue in man-to-man coverage. So hats off to 
not the, really the whole secondary that played well, but in particular, those three cornerbacks. Yeah, the Vikings held those three to a combined 103 yards, but even more impressive on 25 targets. So that's only about four yards per attempt. And the Vikings did so with a rotation at cornerback. We were talking on Monday and on Friday, whether the Vikings would go back to that rotation. We weren't sure if we would see a lot of Trey Waynes, and it turns out we saw quite a bit of Trey Waynes. I asked Zimmer about it yesterday, and he said it's it's not necessarily situational either. He's kind of doing it just to get guys experience. He wants to get Waynes in there. As Newman's getting older, he knows Waynes is the future. He wants to put him in these tough spots and groom him and make sure he's up to speed with what they're doing defensively. And it seemed to work out great. Sometimes they had Newman on Beckham. Sometimes they had Rhodes on Beckham. And then a lot of times they had Waynes against Cruz. And another thing Zimmer said I found interesting is that the diversity of having three cornerbacks and the different looks and the different skill sets they provide is actually going a long ways towards shutting down the opponent's top receivers. It does. And I think, you know, Terrence Newman and, and Wayne splitting time as the guy opposite uh, Xavier Rhodes uh, is going to be great for Wayne's long term uh, career. Uh, think of how much he has, is going to learn from Terrence Newman. And, you know, a lot of times the best way to learn is to play. But, you know, splitting time half the time and, and, and watching Terrence Newman use a different skill set. You know, when Terrence Newman was young, he was a really fast guy. Uh, who was just raw and athletic. Well, that's where Waynes is at now. Uh, but now Newman has to be the old crafty vet who's not as fast as he used to be, but has to use all the little tricks of the trade that he has perfected over the last, what, 13, 14, 15 years uh, to make it this long in the NFL. And so, uh, you know, Waynes gets to see all those little things that you know, he maybe he never knew about, uh, but he hasn't had to use so far in his career because he just goes off of raw athletic talent and speed. Yeah, he's definitely improved the last two games after a tough one against Green Bay. Let's go back to 2009 for a second. Similarities and differences between that team and this team, because that was the last team to go 4-0 and to start a season. Do you feel like these teams are kind of different in their identity? You know, that team was more about offense, I would say, with Favre and and this team is obviously about its defense. Can you get a read on the ways they're the same and the ways they're different? Yeah, well, they're they're very different. From I mean, I mean, the difference between Mike Zimmer and Brad Childress. I mean, you could write a book uh, on their philosophical and coaching styles that are very, very different. Personality-wise, different. Uh, the way they interact with the players is extremely different. Uh, but yeah, that team. You know, obviously having Far versus Bradford. Uh, you can't really compare those two. Uh, but one thing I think you can you can compare is the defense. Both teams had good defenses. You know that defense in 2009 had Jared Allen and you know EJ Henderson. Greenway was obviously a young player. Uh, had Kevin Williams, Pat Williams, uh, a lot of talent on that defense. A lot of talent on this defense. But uh, uh, conceptually and philosophically, they are very different uh, in the sense of a lot of man-to-man coverage. Uh, even in the what we, what we call cover four. Uh, which is also another style of uh, Mike Zimmer defense. Uh, the underneath concepts, the, the linebackers are playing a lot of man-to-man coverage in cover four. Uh, so these linebackers are much more athletic than those linebackers. I mean, E.J. Henderson was a guy who was a pounder. He was good at, you know, that Mike linebacker middle stop in the run, but pretty good in the pass. These guys are more athletic. And Ben Lieber said that to me a few weeks ago, that this linebacking crew is much more athletic than those three guys back in 2009. So there are some similarities, but uh, 
Uh, there's a lot of differences amongst that defense, too. And both of them are very, very good. And obviously, two ways to skin a cat. Mike Zimmer always talks about how in the progression of becoming great, you have to learn how to handle winning and handle success. How did that 2009 team handle their success? Well, I thought we handled up fairly well. Uh, I think for the most part, I mean, we started off hot and, and you know, we, we played fairly solid the entire season. And we actually started, you know, we lost a couple games there at the end of the season, you know, Chicago at Carolina, some big games there. Uh, but I think we just knew we had a lot of talent. And obviously, you know, we were going to go by the way Brett played. If Brett played well, we were probably going to win uh, in, these, in those football games. And so, you know, I, I think that we kept it pretty loose. Um, you know, in some ways, Childress is a very loose coach. He let you know a lot of the guys get away with a lot of stuff. In particular, it seemed like on defense, he let those guys get away with a lot of stuff. And I don't think Zimmer's that way. So I think it's much more, it's much easier to be consistent when when the head coach is is more consistent with all of his players. And I know Mike Zimmer definitely coaches that way. I was trying to piece together what the secondary was of that team in my head, and I couldn't come up with every piece. So it was Cedric Griffin. It was Antoine Winfield, uh, Madee Williams, and then Tyrell Johnson. Is it was that the yes, four? yeah, yes. That's that's the four secondary players. And I'm trying to think of who the like nickel, uh, you know, slot guy was at that time. I mean, Cheryl's may have been a rookie on that team. Uh, I I feel like was it Chris uh, but I don't Cook? Think he was playing much in the slot yet. So was it Chris Cook? Um, yes, but I, th- I feel like he may have even been suspended uh, for part of that <laughs> not, season. Not or surprised. Like that. Not surprised at all. No one is surprised by that. You had a Carl Pema. I don't even recognize that name. No. Benny Sapp. Oh, Benny Sapp would play a little bit. Yeah, Benny Sapp definitely was. He was in there too. I think him and Cook, uh, you know, played a little bit. Um, I may, I'm thinking Cook might have been the second time I was with the Vikings. Now that I'm really thinking about it, I think Benny Sapp might have been that third cornerback for the most of the season. Yeah, Cook might have been a 2010 pick. Now that I now that I come to think about it. Okay, last talker from the New York game. Blair Walsh uh, misses another kick. His confidence has got to be at a record low right now. And I don't know if you saw the GIF online, but Mike Zimmer's reaction to Blair Walsh's miss was not pleasant. I saw him yesterday at Winter Park. He's working all by himself in the field house, just trying to get his mind right. What needs to happen to get to get his stock rehabilitated right now? How can you possibly regain not only your own confidence, but get the confidence back of your coaching staff and the fans? I mean, I think the only thing he can do is just make his kicks. There's nothing else. It's like a guy who's a free throw shooter. The best way to become a better free throw shooter is to shoot a lot of free throws and make them all or make the majority of them. And I think that's the only thing he can really do uh, to convince himself and other people that uh, he's a, you know, a high quality uh, field goal kicker. And, you know, I like Blair Walsh a lot. I, I fully support him. I think the Vikings should give him a long leash here because uh, he's really good uh, on long field goals. Um, he's, you know, he's good in the cold weather as we saw last year, except for that last kick against Seattle. Uh, he's done a lot of good things for this organization, but man, he is in quite the rut. And at some point, you know, the Vikings may make a change. Uh, you know, Robbie gold, the old, uh, the old bears kickers out there on the street doing nothing. I think he's a very good kicker as well. Uh, so, you know, for him to sort of save his job, he's going to have to figure out a way to just make kicks. And that's really just up to him. No one else can really control it. Whether people have confidence in him or not, it doesn't really matter. He's got to go out there and then get the job done. Yeah, Mike Zimmer said yesterday that they are not yet 
looking for replacements for Blair Walsh. Uh, we'll see how long that leash is. I agree with you. It should be a long leash. But with Walsh, it, it seemed, and I'm not a kicker. You weren't a kicker. But here's what I would compare it to. When I'm on the golf course, I know that I have this issue that I like to slice the ball. So sometimes I try to overcompensate. I aim at, like, the water because I know it will not actually go there. It'll end up slicing. But occasionally, it actually goes straight, and, and, it, and it gets all screwed up. And I wonder if Blair Walsh, like, is anticipating his own flaws and overcompensating a bit because, you know, one time he's, he's pushing it, and then the next time he starts pulling it, and he's just going back and forth. And I, I, I'm trying to figure out if he just can't calibrate his kick right now. Well, I, I think sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's like, as you know, it's like when you're standing over, you're on the tee box, and, and sometimes you feel really comfortable on that tee box. Like, I just know I'm going to hit this sucker, you know, 275 yards, and it's going to be, I just feel really confident standing there. And then other times you feel terrible standing there. Like, ah, there's just no chance. I got out of bounds over here. My, I feel like I'm going to slice it, and sure enough, that's what you do. And, you know, I, I think, the, you know, the great shooters in NBA basketball or college basketball, they felt like every shot uh, was going in. And I think Blair Walsh has to somehow convince himself that every time he lines up there, man, those field goal posts are wide. Uh, and, you know, every one of my kicks is going to go in right down the middle. And But my, right now my guess is that he's feeling like hopefully this goes in. And when you get to that hopefully part, uh, you're in a bad position. So now we'll look ahead uh, briefly to Houston and obviously plenty more Texans conversation coming up Thursday and Friday. Check out Locked On Texans with Aaron Wilson. The flagship show Locked On NFL with Matt Williamson. Locked On Fantasy with Vinny. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Ire. I haven't seen a ton of Brock Osweiler this season. They've beaten Kansas City. They've beaten Tennessee. I can't remember who they played in week one, but uh, they're three and one. They're one loss coming they, on a, uh, Go ahead. They beat the Bears. Bears. They beat the Bears at home. That's right, 23-14. And their, big, their one loss was a big one on the road at New England on a Thursday night. Uh, have you gotten a chance to see much of Brock Osweiler? And uh, if so, what are your impressions of him? Well, I, I haven't seen a ton of them this year. I've probably watched, uh, you know, probably about five or six quarters total of, of his football. And, and you know, he looks like the player I thought he was in Denver. He can do some really good things. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's, you know, when you're 6'8", that is just naturally going to limit your, your athletic ability. It's hard to be a guy who, who runs around and makes plays like, you know, Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. It actually helps to be shorter in those situations. So he is a traditional pocket passer he's pretty accurate uh he's pretty good in that pocket he's smart so they have multiple in a lot and manipulate manipulating the line with protections and get him in the right play and all those types of things uh but uh he is not uh he doesn't have a cannon for an arm and uh and he doesn't move around all that much so if they can keep him in that pocket and get a push up the middle 
uh, and get the, the, the pass rushers going, they're going to give him uh, you know, a lot of trouble. And uh, you know, my guess is that Bill O'Brien is going to have to do a lot of stuff to get the ball out quick, uh, which is tough to do. It's, hard, it's tough to do a lot of quick game against good man-to-man coverage that the Vikings play. So I think the Vikings match up very, very good against this Texans offense. We have major breaking news hot off the wire from the Minnesota Vikings. They've signed tight end Brian Leonhart to their practice squad and released cornerback Trey Roberson from the practice squad. Sage, your hard-hitting thoughts on this move. I have none. <laughs> uh, I know Norm Turr likes to use a couple of tight ends. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's Red Ellison or Rudolph or somebody. I know Rudolph, I think he was going to have his, his kids yesterday. Or he's got twins coming or yeah, something. Yeah. So I feel like yesterday was the day for that. So I don't think he'll take the weekend off because of that. But maybe there's an injury at that, uh, you know, second or third tight end position. Well, yeah, that's actually probably the, why they made the move because they've got David Morgan hurt and Rudolph I'm sure is going to take a day here to to be with his twins and his wife so they just got to get another, another tight end there just get a body to uh to run the scout team so that actually does make a ton of sense last one Texans without JJ Watt they still have a couple big pass rushers in Jadevian Clowney Whitney Merciless another big test for that Vikings offensive line it is, but man, losing Watt is, uh, and I think Bill O'Brien said this, you can't replace you know, the best player or one of the best players in the league. And what he has done the last couple of years is nothing short of phenomenal. And uh, that's a huge loss for them. Uh, and uh, you know, hopefully he comes back strong again next year. He's fun to watch. And he's, he's great for the NFL. Uh, he says and does a lot of the right things. But uh, that's, that's a big advantage for the uh, for the, the Vikings offense and the Vikings offensive line because, you know, he's tough on first and second down against the run, and then he's also just an unbelievable pass rusher uh, on third down or second long situations. Sage, we'll talk to you again on Friday morning, and hopefully we have Aaron Wilson of Locked On Texans on the show tomorrow. Sage, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, and, and uh, we should say congratulations to the, to the Rudolphs. What, it, what, what is once two is now four, so that's uh, going to be exciting for them. Yes, indeed. Sage Rosenfeld, Sam Ekstrom, Locked On Vikings, Locked On Podcast Network. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst.